0: Oh, Father, I surrender all. Lord, I thank You for being our God. I thank You for these people that have surrendered their life to You, and I pray that You would allow us to continually hold on to that and and to trust in You as we walk through this life and lean into Your power. Lord, You are our God, and we thank You for everything You do, and I pray that You would speak loudly. I pray as these young ones go downstairs, Lord, that they would learn Your Word and that that Word would just drive deep into their soul and that You would see salvation in many of them. I thank You that we have such young people in this church and, and pray a blessing upon them. And I pray a blessing upon those that are helping them and teaching them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week we've been working through the parables and this week we're in the persistent widow, Luke 18, through 8 And this sermon is going to be on prayer. Trust me, Pastor Bill, it'll be on prayer. It's called, No Prayer, No Power. And I think it's so important to understand that that power comes from God. And as I read the Bible, the the subtitle in it says, Persistent Widow, but I think often, I think of it as the nagging widow, and, and that's not the way we should look at it. You see this parable, it gives us an idea of how we should pray. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I have to evaluate my own prayer life and I think I fail miserably in this area. This isn't the gift that I think God has given me, but I can always get better. And I can too learn from this particular parable and and get better in my prayer life. As I looked at it, As I looked at it this week, I I couldn't help but but study it and just think, you know, nagging and and pestering, and and why is God saying that we should nag and pester Him, and we're going to get there. And the reason I couldn't help but, but go there is, it just didn't seem right. You see, in my own life, my own experiences, if my kids ask me something over and over again, and I give them an answer, the conversation looks a little bit more like this, ask me again and you will never see the light of day. Right? Ask me again and you'll be grounded for a week. Ask me if your friend can stay the night one more time and the answer will always be no. Stop asking me in front of your friend at church. But I'm so glad that our God has more patience than we do. And as we go through this parable, I want us to understand the motivation. You see our prayer has power. But it's not like we're looking at the Sears catalog and we're picking out all this stuff and God is just going to give us everything that we want. No. You see, we must have right motive behind our prayer. There is power in our prayer. Our heart is so important when we look at prayer. And we're also going to discover these prayers that God will always answer. And last week, Pastor Phil told me that I I had to have a three-point sermon i got to be honest with you, that's not really my style. I mean, they taught me to do that in seminary, but I'd much rather just exposit the Word and let the Holy Spirit work in your lives. What is the Holy Spirit trying to tell you as, as words come from me? And the reason I love this is the Holy Spirit is working inside of me and His words are coming out to you. You see, I really just like to to speak and exposit the Word. And I'm so thankful that that the Holy Spirit is working in each of us. And also, if we're going to understand this Scripture, we have to look at some background, some context. You see, Luke, he's addressing this to a church that's, that's broken and beat down. And let's go back. Let's transport back in time to the early 60s. And I'm not talking about the hippie movement. I'm talking about the first early 60s. Paul, he's, he's on a ship. He's going to prison. He's going to meet Caesar. And the first part of this trip is, is really uneventful. But the second part is treacherous. They're battling a storm. And all these, these sailors, they're giving up hope. They're, they're in the midst of all of this. And, and Paul, he displays this faith. This courage as he honors God. And he prophesies on the ship. And he, and he tells them that everybody is going to be saved as long as they stay on the ship. And there's this one part where he does communion and he prays for the people and it and he brings comfort to their hearts. And this ship, it finally gets shipwrecked in Malta, and there's this crazy story about a serpent and, and all this stuff about Paul not dying and, and and that's not important right now for this story, but what is important is we see Paul, he, he ends up in Rome. And he ends up in Rome, and he's brought in front of Caesar, and he boldly proclaims the Word of God. And as we see the end of Acts, he's boldly proclaiming the Word of God to anybody who will listen, and even some of those who won't. And what's so important, as we see, is Luke, Dr. Luke is writing chapter 18. It's sometime in the, in the early 70s. And the end of Acts is sometime in the early 60s. And what's important, in, in 64 AD, Nero and the Roman government are, are persecuting the Christians just for loving Jesus. There's so much pain and so much hardship going around. And the people are wondering, why has Jesus not come back? The church is tired and they're, and they're suffering. They're wondering, why has God silent? But Luke right here, he's reminding them that that in this contact with God, they must not lose heart. Luke 18, 1-8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, "'Give me justice against my adversary.'" Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And this first question that I want to ask you do we pray boldly? No doubts, no regrets. Even when times look bleak, are we praying boldly? Just like Paul did on this trip to Rome. I also ask do we come to God like this widow in this text? And I don't know about you, but my prayers often seem superficial. I often pray that God will be with me, and I have nothing against that. But if we think about it, it seems like a crazy prayer. I mean, do we really think that God is going to leave us? Now, there's an important part. The first part, you time you come and, and ask God for salvation and pray that God will be with you. I understand that. But after that, God is with us. The Spirit is indwelling in us when we surrender to God. However, there's this thing called infilling. And I love the infilling. This power and boldness that comes when we preach the Word comes when we go and we share about Jesus with others. It can come when we're praying. I love when the, when the Holy Spirit speaks through my words. It's almost like He takes over sometimes. And even when I feel like He's not, that seems to be the time that that people come to me and say, you know, this part really affected me. And understand that even though sometimes it seems like our God is silent, man, our God, He is still working in our lives, whether we understand it or not. The problem really comes in my prayers when I pray in God's will. Now, I get it. That's not a big deal. I get it. But often I pray in God's will to protect my faith. Almost like if God doesn't answer the prayer the way I wish it, then my faith won't be hurt. You see, I remember praying for little Stella so hard. And I remember praying for my sister's friend, Demery, so hard. And I often remember I'd pray in God's will, but, but I did it to protect my heart if... if if for some reason God didn't heal them. And I'm here to tell you today that we don't have to do that. We can pray boldly to God and understand that God answers our prayers, whether we see it or not. And I ask us as a church to pray big, bold, beautiful, heartfelt prayers. And God didn't heal them on this earth. But God wasn't quiet either. I mean, how many lives were impacted by their deaths? I mean, Stella's memorial organization in this community is helping people after people. And I see Demery's words that she wrote down and how they've affected my soul and others. And then I have this little niece, Annabelle Demery. Now, she's only a year old, but but who knows the impact that it will have on other people's lives going forward. She may never know my sister's best friend, but what impact will that have on her life? You see, we look back. The after that's. The, the looking back. And I look back my own life and I see God's plan in each of these situations. And we must understand that when we pray for healing, we don't always know who God is going to heal. So let's look at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And I have to be honest, I don't think that the ESV and even the NASB get this exactly right. The word that we read here is ought, and and what we think of in the English language is, it's really, really important, but it's not necessarily mandatory. But the word in the Greek is "dein," which means that it is necessary, it is a must, It is God's will or God's plan. So I think this verse should read, if we are being true to the Greek, it should say it is God's will to pray and to not lose heart. And why is Dr. Luke telling us not to lose heart? And this this context matters. You see, from the first time, back in the, the first century, when Jesus ascends, the church is wondering when Jesus is going to come back. And we're wondering, why has Jesus not returned yet? Which leads us to another question. Why do we struggle with this? How do we stay focused on prayer when we want Jesus to return so much? How do we stay focused on discipleship when we want Jesus to return so much? And maybe we're facing persecution. Maybe times are tough. But Luke and God and the Spirit, they want us to understand that prayer is a powerful tool. And it's so powerful when we lean into God's power. When we see God answer us in specific ways. And it may take some time to see God's plan. But looking back at my life and looking back at your life, you see God's plan in these past events. And to see how God is working out each detail. You know, prayer is powerful, not because of our own power, but God's power when we pray. You see, we're trusting in Him. And not only that, but prayer connects us to God. And God is the greatest source of power ever. I mean, He created power. But yet, He still lets us come to Him. He still lets us have a relationship with Him. And He still expects us to pray. And as we look through history, I mean, even though we believe in a sovereign God that controls everything, He has used humans to pray throughout history. And I don't understand it. I don't necessarily get it. But that's what the Bible says. I mean, all these stories in the Bible. Look at Hannah in, in 1 Samuel. I mean, she prays so hard that Eli thinks she's drunk. And the Bible says that she prays and she pours out her soul. When was the last time we prayed and we, we poured out our soul in our prayers? Bold, powerful prayer. Soul-like prayer. And I love how God, He, he answers Hannah and He ushers in the likes of King David. And then we have Hezekiah in 2 Kings, Jerusalem is on the verge of being attacked by these Assyrians and he prays this powerful prayer, 2 Kings 19.19 So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from His hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that You, O Lord, are God alone. Man, you want a prayer that will always be answered? Maybe not the exact way that you think it should be answered? Pray that God will be known. Or better yet, pray that God will save you. The most powerful prayer. A miracle that's happening every day. I mean over and over again. People, they pray for salvation and God answers that prayer. Daniel, in the Bible, he prays that his friends will be saved. He prays that God will shut the mouths of lion, And Jairus prays for his daughter. Do we pray for others to be saved? Do we pray for the enemy to shut his mouth? Do we pray for our family? Even in the New Testament, Peter is in prison and the church is praying earnestly for him. And God, he answers that prayer, and the little girl goes to the door and she's so surprised. I mean, God even answers when we're surprised. God works in our prayers. And when God, He answers prayers, that builds faith and trust, and it allows us to not lose heart. Over and over again, we see in the Bible these stories. And sometimes we think that that God is never silent in the Bible, but what about the 400 years? I mean, God is developing these people, these Israelites... He's establishing the Passover and this relationship with Jesus Christ on the cross. All these important things are going to happen and God, He is always answering prayers. He asks us as God's people to be bold in our prayer life and to proclaim bold prayers that actually make a difference. What if God actually says yes to your prayers? Have you ever thought about that? When he actually says yes, does it change this world? Does it change somebody's world in a specific way? And I was listening to Chuck Swindoll and he was talking about this lady who used to come and pray with him often. And she would ask him, what can I pray for you, Pastor Swindoll? Her name was Aunt May. And she would write down every prayer, every prayer that he told her. And she would come back to Him often and ask what happened with that prayer. And she would document every prayer and see God work. And then she would ask Him for another one. Is that the type of church that we are? Can we be this type of church? Are we people that pray boldly and then expect God to answer? I challenge us as a church to write down our prayers. And to write down God's answer And see how amazing our God is. Luke, he tells us that that prayer is amazing right here in the text. And he tells us to stay focused all the way to the end of this race. when, When Jesus returns or when we go home because of death. When I looked at these questions, when I look about why Jesus has not returned. It really hit me this week. I started looking at something, and and why didn't Jesus return in 1975 when the Jehovah Witnesses said He would, when they said Armageddon was going to happen? Did you know that so many people came to the Jehovah Witness faith two years before that, and they're prophesying that the world is going to end in 1975, and what happens after that is all these people start to decline in their faith, and they should have. Because when somebody prophesies and it becomes not true, they're a false prophet. And we should not trust that. We should not trust that. But what is important, where I want to go with this, is I was born in 1981. And I know for a fact that I was part of God's plan to be in His presence someday. To be in the presence of Jesus. And there's many others in here who get to be in the presence of Jesus. And if God returned in 1975, you weren't part of that plan. And do we ever just go and pray and how thankful we are that Jesus allowed us to be part of that plan. That we got the chance to go boldly to the cross and be saved. And on top of that, how, how cool is it that we worship the perfect judge? And not this judge that we see in verse 2. Our God, He knows exactly the name of every person that is His. I don't think this judge knows that. Verse 2, He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. I mean, this judge does not pray. He cares about himself. And this judge is not a believer. This judge is a man of the world. And this judge, sadly, is everywhere in our world. And I do not want to dwell long on this judge because this is not an example of God. This is the contrast of who God is. Please do not mistake your thinking when you read this text. I like verse 3. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. This persistent widow. She is so much more important in this story. And I don't know about you, I sometimes struggle this way. I was looking at it, are we just supposed to nag God? And then the way the Holy Spirit works, I watched this documentary on USA Gymnastics this week. I watched it as young women. Young women were abused... Physically and emotionally by their coaches. Over and over again. And that's not even the worst part. You see, their doctor used those moments to move in and sexually abuse over 500 gymnasts. While the leaders and directors of this organization turned a blind eye because of money, and status. The very people that are supposed to protect these girls. Would rather protect money. And fame. And it was not until these girls continually kept coming. And telling their story. That these authorities finally broke. And justice finally happened. These ladies were seeking justice. Justice. I mean, how many girls had to be hurt before something was done? And I ask us, do our prayers matter this much? That young women are saved from this horror. I mean, do we truly believe in the importance of our prayer as we go to our judge, God the Father? And we compare this to the widow You see, this widow is in a similar position. She has no power. She has nothing compared to this judge. She cannot bribe him. She cannot blackmail him. She has nothing in terms of power in this world. She cannot change the judge's opinion other to constantly come to him and plead with him until he finally breaks down and has no choice but to bring justice. Justice. Man, if we're comparing ourselves to our God who is everything. I mean, we're like ants with a four-year-old with a magnifying glass. Yet our God is not a four-year-old with magnifying glass. He does everything out of love. Even His wrath and His justice are done out of love. In USA Gymnastics over and over again. Finally, their request is, no, is made known, and the leadership that could have helped them, this leadership that could have saved them, but yet they were more worried about their own selves and their brand. They demonstrated a lack of humanity and compassion. These people, they didn't care about the defenseless, they didn't care about these young women, all oh, they cared about themselves, and guess what happens Justice is finally served in their part of that justice. Let's look at 4 and 6. We see something similar. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will keep her justice, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I mean, this man cares about himself more than others. I mean even in caring about himself he finally gives in to give justice. I ask us do we come with our prayers do they mean enough that somebody would finally give in to help others? You see so often we look at it as this parent figure with our children and we compare it to our children asking us for candy or or friends to come over or something like that. When we should be comparing this parable we should look at it as our, parent or our children coming to us and asking us that, that we intervene when they're getting bullied. Asking us that, that we treat them fairly when, when us as parents, we're truly treating them unfairly. We should compare it to our children begging us for love. Or asking us to get along with our ex. We should compare it to our children asking us, pleading with us to, to trust in Jesus. Jesus. Maybe they discover Jesus at VBS and they're coming to us as parents. Or maybe it's our children asking us, pleading with us to protect them when they're physically or or sexually abused. Or maybe it's this story what happened to one of my baseball boys. I mean, his father has already died and his grandfather has a heart attack on Friday. It's so much more important than stuff, and it's about the heart. I mean, the very next verse in chapter 18, starting at 9, I ask us, church, are we like this tax collector who humbles ourselves and pleads for forgiveness, or are we like the Pharisee who all he praises? He's not like this tax collector. Our prayers, they demonstrate our heart. I mean, imagine this widow. She's going to this judge. She wants justice for the murder of her husband, maybe. And if this judge doesn't give justice, how many more people are going to be murdered? And as we look at this text, it's it's comparable to Luke 11, 1-8, and this neighbor, he's knocking at the door. And this man is sleeping. He doesn't want to get up. But he finally gets up and he goes to the door. He's unwilling to get up until he pesters him enough. And this, this text is not about pestering. It's so important that we don't see God as the unwilling judge or the unwilling neighbor. That we don't let our minds wander here. But yet we see it as a contrast. That our God is so much greater our God does not get annoyed by our children coming to us, even when they come to us every day of EBS, to ask if, their kid, if somebody can spend the night. Every time, our God is patient with us. He's not like me. And our God, He wants us to lean into His power in our prayers. God is saying, have bold prayers. Come to me boldly. Pour out your soul for people's salvation. Pour out your prayer life for people in organizations that are helping people. I mean, maybe it's human trafficking. Pour out your prayers for that. Do you know that there is more slaves today than there ever has been in the history of mankind? I mean, do we pray bold prayers like that? Do we pray for our family members? I mean, God, He will answer those prayers. Our God is not an awful judge. Our God is a just judge. And even when we feel like He's silent, He is working out each detail. We've all heard stories about God. He's freeing the captives. But on top of our prayers, our words that we speak, do our actions pray? I mean, we can be against human trafficking, but do we look at pornography? Because that's the world's leader in human trafficking. I often look at our actions and wonder if that's what Paul's talking about when he tells us to pray continually. Does our life demonstrate our prayers? I look at 6, verse 6 here in 18, and I see this contrast. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. But then we contrast with this. And will not God give us justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? Our God does not make decisions because He is pestered. He makes decisions out of love for all people. And I think sometimes we get it wrong. We think that if we can just pray right, if I can just pray harder, God is going to answer my prayers That's not how it works. Our God has relieved us from this. I mean, we are sons and daughters of the one true God. Have we ever really fathomed what that means? I mean, we have access to God. I don't know about you, but when my son or my daughter is sick, I go to them and I want to help them and I don't wait to help them. I do it right away. And our God does not delay unless he's motivated by love. Our God, He carries out love and justice for this widow. This unrighteous judge, He just cares about Himself. But our God, He cares about everybody. If my children, they come into my room, they have access to me at any time of the day. And this week, I'm, I'm teaching VBS. I'm working with elementary kids. Oh my goodness, that's tough. People that were there understand it. But if those kids come to me to give me a hug, what do I do? I turn my side. If those kids come to me to give me a kiss, I distract them. But if my kids come to give me a hug, I wrap my arms around them and I squeeze them tightly and they kiss me and I love their kisses and I kiss them back. I mean, that's our father, that's our parents. That is what our God is like. But we have to be careful. You see, we have to be careful when we look at our parents and relate it to God because not everybody has a a father like I did. Not everybody has a father that is as loving and takes care of me and works hard and disciplines fairly like I did. No, some of us have parents like my wife who had a ton of potential but missed the mark. He got caught up in drugs and things of the world and was abusive. Some of you have fathers who are non-existent at best. Some of us were fatherless. And we can't see God when we compare Him to our earthly father. And nor should we, because we must start with God as the foundation. God is our source of fatherhood. He is the first source. He is not the second Our God is a righteous judge, a righteous Father who is seeking us out. I love what Ezekiel 34, 16 says. It says that I will seek the lost. God is talking. He says, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. Now, some of this text sounds beautiful, and some of it sounds difficult. I want to tell you a story, and it's about a parent. It's not about my father, but about my mother. And you see, when I was in third grade, I was kind of a mouthy kid. Go figure. But I was really fast. And I loved to test out how fast I was. And I had this friend named Casey Goodrich, and he used to attend this very church. And Casey just happened to be a little bit faster than me. And I was making fun and, and, and enticing some 5th graders on the bus. And as I got off the bus, I took off running as fast as I could. And I was about maybe 6 or 7 blocks from the bus stop to my house. And about a block before I got to my house, they caught me. And they were beating me down. It was not good. And my buddy Casey, he gets free and he runs to the source. He runs to my mom and he's pleading for rescue And that five foot one beast of a lady, man, she comes running like Pumbaa and Timon. She's kicking butt. No, not really, but but she is on fire. And she clears the mess. And my mom comes to rescue me. And when we go to our Father with our prayers, our Father will rescue us. And and sometimes it might not be right away. I mean, I've told you the story of this pagan that came to Christ and he got put in jail in February. He got put in jail for something that he didn't do. He was relieved of all charges and the lo- the woman actually lied about it. And just 2 weeks ago he, cry- he he calls me and he couldn't talk about how blessed he was that God allowed him to go to jail and how much his faith had grown. And he sent me letter after letter after letter and you should have seen his theology and seen his growth. And not even just that, seen his vocabulary improve. Man, this man wants to be a pastor. And he's working towards that. You see, sometimes our Father rescues us by sending us to jail. And we may not see it at the time, but He's rescuing us in only the way that He can. You see, God always does what our parents only do sometimes, what we only do sometimes. God, He always demonstrates kindness, fairness, compassion, discipline, integrity, honest, and I could go on and out forever, but the most important is love. Love. I mean, we have a dad that that not only loves us, but he wants a phone call from us. He wants a relationship with us. I mean, looking at the story of the prodigal son. I mean, do you understand what this son did to the father? He basically said, you are dead. You are dead to me. And in that culture, it was shame to go running. And the prodigal son comes back, and what does the father do? he takes off running on a beeline and he hugs his son and he puts on a robe and he gives him a ring and he says, you are a son. You're not a servant. You are a son of mine. And that's the kind of God that we get to pray to. I mean, have we ever really thought about that's the kind of God that we get to turn to. Man, look at verse 8. It says that our God, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, the Son of Man comes and He will find, will He find faith on earth? I'm here to tell you that our God is not silent. He's orchestrating every detail. And our God is motivated by love in every decision that He makes. And our God told us that He will come back. And we can count on it. When we look at this question that Luke asks us, will we find faith on earth when Jesus comes back? And I say yes and amen. You better believe it. I don't know about you, but how many people have you seen come to faith when everything is peachy? I haven't seen. I can't think of one off the top of my head. God, He uses the struggles. He uses the darkness in our life to bring people to Him I mean, that's when we pray big, bold, bold, beautiful prayers. I mean, that's when I was praying when they thought that my daughter had cancer. I've never prayed like that in my entire life. I mean, when do we boldly go to the Father? It's when things are darkest. Man, there will be faith when Jesus returns. I promise you that. I mean, the faith, it grew in the 60s. Man, there's persecution everywhere. Faith is growing now in China, just like Pastor Phil said last week, when times are tough, the faith will grow. So what's that mean for us? First of all, I challenge each of us to write down our prayers, especially those life-changing prayers, and I challenge us to visit those prayers often, see how God has answered those prayers, see how He's helped our soul to not lose heart. I pray for us to pray for family members and friends that have not yet surrendered their life to Jesus. I can think of a couple of my friends, Eric and Caressa to name a few. I can also think of a young woman, about 90 years old, sitting there, that would call me up on the phone all the time and she would pray for hours. I'm not kidding you. but I still see some of those prayers that that young woman was praying today. I mean, do we pray like Miss Fawn? I challenge us to have a prayer life like Miss Fawn. To pray daily for those in our family that have not surrendered their life to Jesus. And I look at this church and I plead with us to trust. To trust in the perfect Father who has the perfect ability to accomplish the perfect plan. And in that plan, He allows us, I mean me, a wretched, black-hearted sinner, me to come to Him. Man, chew on that. He allows me to have a relationship with Him. The Creator of everything allows me to have contact with Him. Our power, our prayer has power when it is God's power through the work of His Son on the cross. Let's pray. I thank You, Lord, for prayer. I can't, can't believe that I can even pray. Like, to the Creator of the universe, the greatest judge, and we have access Not because I pester you, not because I come to you all the time, not because of anything, but because of you and your power. Because of your love, because you loved us, I can now love you. Because of your son and his his love and his death on the cross, I can now love you. And I pray boldly today, I pray boldly for my friends, Eric and Caressa. I ask that you would bring them to a saving grace. That You would let them see how great and how mighty and how amazing Your love is. And that the Holy Spirit would drive deep down inside of them. And they would understand that how wretched people like us can be seen through the eyes of Your Son and be holy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.